going to start a trip through 1 Corinthians. If you remember Acts that we did a year or so ago, um, what did we go, 50, 55 sermons through that book? So um, imagine we'll be done in a week or two in 1 Corinthians, right? I did an experiment this week at home. I don't know how much wisdom was in it, but hopefully some. I challenged my kids one day. I said to them, if you guys can be good all day, by good, let me define that. If you could not fight with each other all day, if you can be respectful to your mother and myself all day, I'll take you to the toy store tomorrow and get you something. Well, do you know those kids were good all day? I didn't, first of all, I didn't think it was going to happen. But all day, they were good. They didn't fight. They were kind to each other. They, they were helping out their mom. They were picking up their rooms. Everything they were told to do, they did. And, and they went all the way to bed, went to sleep, got up in the morning. First thing they say in the morning is, we get to go to the toy store today, right? And we did. We went to the toy store. The reason I did it wasn't complete bribery. I mean, it was nice to have a day of people getting along. And, and I was trying to figure financially how long I could handle that for. But what I did was explain to them how I was able to motivate them to obey by a reward. If I, have, you know, say you can have a present, they do the right thing, they got the present. Next time, I have to up it a little bit. And we had a little discussion about that because somebody... Somebody, a, a smaller version, wanted about a $150 Lego train. <laughs> Said you weren't that good. But rewards often motivate us. And as Christians, that's important for us to understand, too. We need to understand what motivates us. There are rewards that we receive in heaven by obedience. But more importantly, what motivates us is what we're going to look at today. And it's called grace. It's what we're singing about here. And we're going to do that as we look at just the first nine verses of 1 Corinthians. Let me um, set the stage of the book a little bit. We'll look at the text and I'll unpack it. 1 Corinthians was a letter written by Paul to the church of God at Corinth. It was not actually the first letter he wrote, it was the second. If you don't know what I'm talking about, you have to stick with me through the sermon series because you'll see there's a lost letter. It's not a lost biblical letter. This is no Dan Brown conspiracy. It wasn't intended by God to be incorporated into Scripture. But this is a letter that he wrote to the church of Corinth around the year 52 to, to 55 A.D., so just a couple decades after Christ died. And it was written to, um, to speak to many of the problems that were going on in this church. Paul founded the church of, of Corinth. He spent a little over 18 months there, and we read about that in the book of Acts in chapter 18. And th this church was a um, body of believers who lived in an area that was difficult to live as a believer. It was a center of industry, of commerce, great wealth, a potpourri of religious views and philosophical views. The centerpiece of the city was the temple of Aphrodite with its thousand priestesses who actually came down and lost the rest of the letters after their names but the PRs and became prostitutes in the evening. That's what Aphrodite was about. And this church was conforming to the culture and the sins of the culture were creeping in and in fact they were sinning more robustly even than the culture around them. So Paul wrote this letter to the church of God at Corinth. And you'll see, and I, and I broke it down here, it's 16 chapters. From verse 10 of chapter 1 through 421, he deals with errors regarding division in the church. From 5.1 to 6.20, he speaks of errors regarding immorality in the church. All of chapter 7, errors regarding marriage. Chapter 8 through 10, errors regarding Christian liberty. Chapter 11 deals with errors regarding the Lord's table. Errors like showing up and getting drunk off of it and eating all the food before other people get a bit. They had issues. 12 through 14, errors regarding spiritual gift. 15, errors regarding the resurrection. 
16 errors regarding money. They were doing a lot of really, really, really bad stuff. But I want you to notice in these first nine verses, well, let me say before that, once you notice, first of all, this is not a unique church in how messed up it was. This has been a problem of the church since its inception. You know what it is? We, we have sin in us, and we have an attraction to the world. We have a hard time getting the world out of us. The desires of the flesh, they sit in us, and the devil loves it, and he, he messes up the bride of Christ that way. But notice what Paul does, and think about how you, you approach things. When your kids, for example, misbehave, right? You, you come down with, with the, you know, we, we love to go, don't spare the rod. Right? You know that verse? We have, we have a big steel rod at home, and I'm kidding, we don't. But, but we often think that, that we can mold a child into right behavior by, by fright, per se. That's not the way it's intended, is it? Now, there is a way to use the rod appropriately, and God uses the rod as he disciplines his children in, an, in a proverbial sense. Um, he disciplines us. I don't know if anyone's ever received a, a spank from on high. I can't. Um, but notice how Paul approaches this. He approaches it by drawing attention to grace. Let's get into the text, and I'll show you what I mean. So starting in verse 1, it says, Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sosthenes to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. It's interesting when you read scripture, you can just go real fast and you know what you get out of that? Paul wrote it, right? But if you slow down and you have some idea of what's going on and you put it in a greater context, watch this. This week in my, in my studies, I decided I would memorize the first letter of every uh, epistle written by Paul. Uh, the first word. You know what the first word in every letter Paul wrote is in scripture? Look at that, Patty's paying attention. Paul. Every letter starts with Paul, Paul, Paul. It's a, um, it's a normal introduction to a letter. But then he says something that you wouldn't normally find in a letter. His you would. But it says, called by the will of God to be an apostle. Why is he saying that? He's showing off, right? I'm Paul and I'm apostle and you're not. Ha <laughs> ha, look at me. Look at my halo. Why does he say that? He's saying, what I'm writing here, I'm writing as an apostle. I'm writing as one of a very few select individuals who were brought to faith by Christ directly, trained by Christ directly, and commissioned by Christ directly to go out and proclaim his message. I'm entrusted with apostolic gifts as well, giving credibility to this message I'm proclaiming. I'm not normal. In fact, what I'm writing you is written under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He's saying, what I'm writing isn't my opinion. And that's important for us to understand as we read this. Some of this stuff may rub you the wrong way. Well, it's not Paul's opinion. It's the word of God inspired through the Holy Spirit, written through his vessel, the Apostle Paul. You with me on that? If you're out and about and you turn on the radio or you're traveling and you go to a church and it says, you know, preaching today, the apostle so-and-so, just please keep going. The word apostle means sent one. So I guess technically we're all apostles in the lowercase a sense, but the uppercase a apostle, there are no apostles like Paul. There is no apostolic secession. There, there were 12 dudes who were ordinary guys entrusted by Christ, called and equipped by him. Right, that Judas cat got messed up along the way. But these, these apostles that we read of who, who write these letters down, they are not just regular, ordinary guys sharing their opinions. They're vessels entrusted by God through the power of the Holy Spirit to, through his inspiration, write these letters. So what we have here, what Paul's writing is, this isn't just me, a guy who you know. This is me writing in my apostolic position. 
And then he says this weird thing. And our brother Sosthenes. Every word of God is inspired. This is not a bad editing job. But what the heck does Sosthenes have to do with anything? How often can you read that and just fly right by like Sosthenes? Weird name. Let's keep going. You know who Sosthenes is? Ring a bell? Funny you should ask. In Acts 18, that's where we read of the, the church of Corinth starting. This is really neat. It's, I love when you're able to, to put the pieces of Scripture together. It's not a hidden mystery, but it's such a wonderful flowing narrative from start to finish. Why would, why would Paul write Sosthenes? Why would God desire that to be in there? Do you remember what happened with Paul in Corinth? If not, you will in about 15 verses. So Paul left Athens. Remember the, the Areopagus? And he went to Corinth, and he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontius, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla. Because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome, and he went to see them, and because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade the Jews and Greeks. So that's what Paul's doing in Corinth. This is the letter he's writing to this church. This is how this, this church was begun. So he starts out with the Jews. And Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia. Paul was occupied with the word, testifying to the Jews that Christ was Jesus. And when they opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments and said to them, your blood be on your own heads. And I love this part. He says, I'm innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. So do you know what Paul does? He walks literally next door. It says right here, I am innocent. From now on, I'll go to the Gentiles. And he left there and went to the house of a man named Titius Justice, a worshiper of God. His house was next door to the synagogue. So it's not like he was done being an influence on the Jews. He just walked out of the synagogue, turned right, walked up to the next door, knock, 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 I'm coming in and preaching the gospel. You know, so, so the Jews are still dealing with this, but they didn't like him. Well, it says, Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord. Now that's going to cause a conspiracy, isn't it? The ruler of the synagogue comes to faith in Christ. So you know what happens when the ruler of the synagogue comes to faith in Christ? He gets kicked out of his position. They've got to get a new ruler of the synagogue. Stick with me here came to faith together with his entire household and many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul believed and were baptized. And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent, for I am with you and no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in the city who are my people. And he stayed a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. You're like, John, I thought you were talking about Sosthenes. Stick with me. It takes a minute. We're getting to Sosthenes. You ready now? So, when Gallio was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews made a united attack on Paul and brought him before the tribunal, saying, This man is persuading people to worship God contrary to the law. But when Paul was about to open his mouth, Gallio said to the Jews, If it were a matter of wrongdoing or vicious crime, O Jews, I would have reason to accept your complaint. But since it's a matter of questions about the words and names of your own law, see to it yourselves. I refuse to be a judge of these things. And he drove them from the tribunal. Finally, we've gotten to where we were going. It says, And they all seized who? Sosthenes, the ruler of the synagogue, and beat him in front of the tribunal, but Gallio paid no attention to any of this. What is going on here? Paul called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sosthenes. Well, wait a minute. This all of a sudden gives even more credibility to the letter. He's saying, the apostle Paul, oh, and our good friend Sosthenes, remember your replacement ruler of the synagogue? Him too. All the Corinthians know who Sosthenes is. He's these rulers of the synagogue, they kept going and believing in Christ. What was going on here? So it just gives an extra measure of credibility to, to what Paul's writing here. That's one verse. You want to stop there and do a verse a week? To the church of God that is in Corinth, it says. You know, this church, God's Grace Bible Church. No questions. You might put me on the spot. What's up? No, back in, in verse 8, he says, 
Right. Crispus came, if you keep reading there, Crispus came to faith. When he came to faith, he would have been kicked out of his position. So what happened was they had a new ruler of the synagogue, and they wanted to bring Paul to trial. So the ruler of the synagogue would preside as the attorney in that trial. So when they go to Gallio for this trial, Sosthenes, as a ruler, would be the one presenting the case. So when Gallio says, I'm not going to hear your case, the people got mad at Sosthenes because he was such a horrible attorney on their behalf that they decided to beat him up. Does that make sense? That's a good question. To the church of God that is in Corinth, this is God's Grace Bible Church. Long story how we got the name. What I like about the name, it's God's church. Focused on grace. We teach the Bible. I think that works well. God's Grace Bible Church. It's what you get here. Renee, you, you were the, the one who would do this most often years ago. Renee would refer to this as my church. And I have to say to Renee, no, it's not my church. It's our church, actually. It's not our church. It's God's church. Technically, the name of our church should be the Church of God, named God's Grace Bible Church, that meets at 2109 Conestoga Road in Malvern, PA. But that flows horribly. You know, can you see the T shirt? T T C O G C G G B. But what Paul's reminding them, and what's important for us to know is this is God's church. It's for his glory to do his will, to serve his people in his way and proclaim his gospel, right? Not, not one of us has a position of, of esteem in this church that makes it about us. It's God's. It's what Paul's saying, and you'll see why as we go through this. He's saying, this is the church of God that's in Corinth. He says, now, remember, he's talking to these people who had done all this bad stuff, right? He's got 16 chapters of mess up he's going to talk about. So he says, you all are hypocrites and idiots. No, I think I misread that. He says, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Saints. Do you know what a saint is? Look here. You're looking at a saint. I like to introduce myself to people as St. John. They say, oh, my name is Frank, and I I'm St. John. It's a pleasure to meet you. They look at you screwy, but the reality is I don't do that. The reality I should is you and I are saints. The Catholic Church has this process where certain people become saints, and they, please. A saint is simply a holy one, one who is a follower of Christ. We're all saints. I'll let you know saints ain't perfect, but we, we are actually perfect in Christ. We're being perfected, but you and I, as believers in Christ, are saints. Did you know that? Make you feel good, right? On your letters, you know? Saint Rene. Love Saint Rene says grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now we're going to get into the, the bulk of the text for today. So we have this introduction. But notice Paul, before he comes, he's not, he's not coming with a club wielding his apostolic authority, which he had, to beat these people over the head to, to live right. What is he doing? He's going to wow them with grace. He's going to wow them with past grace, present grace, and future grace. And he's going to do that because for us to live the right way, we need to understand who we are in Christ. But we forget too often, and that's what happened with the Corinthian church. The basis for how we act needs to be who we are. Too often we go to a legalistic bent. You're a Christian, now live right. Don't drink, don't smoke, don't cuss, don't watch that television, read your Bible all the time, darn it, do it. And then we're just like, oh, okay. And we know, not with all those things, but with some of those things, we're, we're supposed to do that, right? There are hundreds of commandments in the Bible. And as Christians, we're to obey those commandments. 
But if we go about it the wrong way, we're going to be miserable folks, right? You know what? You shouldn't go and get drunk. Plain and simple. Clear biblical teaching. Some people have a hard time with that. So you can just force yourself, and there's an element of this in the sanctification process, to flee sin, to fight sin. But when you understand what should motivate you to do it and who empowers you to do it, you begin to see the joy that comes in it, right? We're called to tame the tongue. I have not yet mastered that. Sometimes I pray God might make me mute. I I would be more sanctified. But that's hard. But what motivates us to do it? We're called to forgive one another. Everybody loves forgiving everyone. We're called not to be angry, unrighteously angry. Well, that's hard. I have a week coming up to grow and be stretched in that. You can be praying for me. So what is to motivate us? What's to motivate this Corinthian church not to screw up so bad? Paul says, remember what I came to tell you at first. You see that in 1 Corinthians 15. But he starts with past grace. Look at verse 4. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus. He says, was given you. In the Greek language, that's called an aorist verb. What does that mean? I don't know. It just sounds good, so let's move on. Aorist means past tense completed. There are different tense structures in, in Greek, but they overlap. With the English. Aorist is a past tense completed action, right? I finished my job. That would be an aorist type verb, finished. The grace of God, that was given you in Christ. What is grace? We sang about grace. We hear the word all the time. It's in our church name. What is grace? It's unmerited and it's unearned, right? Tommy, first of all, he got so stinking close to that word. I don't know what you're doing, but my kids are coming over for their language arts and spelling. He didn't earn that book. It was spell it right, you get the gift. He didn't spell it right, but he got the gift. That's grace. If I say, hey, can you paint my house, and I'll give you whatever it costs to paint a house, a thousand bucks, and you paint my house and I give you a thousand bucks, that's not grace, that's income. That's earned income. If I paint my house and I give you a thousand bucks, that's grace. You didn't earn it. Well, now elevate it way bigger. Grace from God is complete, total forgiveness for all of our sins, past, present, and future. How did you earn that? Why do you deserve that? You don't. But you have it as a Christian. Grace and guilt, they can't coexist. If you feel guilt over something you've done in the past and you're a Christian, shame on you. If you have godly remorse for doing it that drives you to repentance and seeks to not do it again, that's wonderful. But to be riddled with guilt and feel like you're a miserable failure and a horrible wretch, you've missed the whole point. It's not even what Paul's talking about. He says, what a wretched man I am. We'll get to that another time. But guilt and grace cannot coexist. They can't. You can't pay back grace. God doesn't say, if you do this, I'll be gracious to you. No, he says, I will be gracious to you. That's what Paul's reminding the Corinthians. Remember who you were apart from Christ and who you are in Christ based off of what he did. Past grace. You and I need to be reminded as Christians of that past grace. Isn't that so wonderful? There's no guilt. There's no condemnation in Christ Jesus. We are, we are righteous. We are perfect in the eyes of God, clothed in the righteousness of Christ. That's what we have to offer the world. A holy, just, wrathful God who will judge all of humanity offers grace to those who will believe. Right, this isn't, we're not offering them, well, come to church. Okay, why? I don't know, but we got to go, so you better come with us. We want friends at church. Come on. We want some of the cool worldly people. It would be more fun if you would just come. No, we don't. We do want them, but not for that reason. We are offering people the message of reconciliation, forgiveness, and removal of all guilt, past grace. We often don't remind them because we often forget what we have. God is big, dangerous, 
teeth, claws, ferocious. He's scary. He really is scary. But he's not scary to us. You know why? Because we're his children by grace. Big scary God is really, really out there. And he's really going to judge the whole world. And he's really in charge of everything. And when you see him face to face, even as his children, you're really, I, I don't think you're necessarily going to run up to Jesus when you get to heaven and jump into his arms and give him a big hug. You know why? Because you're going to fall flat on your face at first, right? You're, you're not going to be able to process the emotional swing that comes on here. But when you experience the Shekinah glory of God in heaven, you're going to hit the deck. You're, you're, you're going to rejoice. But now if that glory casts upon you as a non-believer, you're going to drop dead. Hey, he's ferocious, but he's loving. He's merciful. He's what? He's gracious. And we've received that grace in the past. So Paul starts with the Corinthians. He's like, dudes and dudettes, little duties and dudettes. Remember the grace that you received in the past. They may be going, but look at all this bad stuff. We're getting drunk at communion. I got a, a guy sleeping with his stepmom. We're committing sins the world doesn't commit. We got rivalries. We got, we got idol worship in the church. We're celebrating preachers. We love false teachers. Does God really love us? Paul's saying, yeah. But, but we're not living like we're supposed to. Paul's like, right. But you have grace, guys. You're believers. You're not a Christian because you're living right. But if you're a Christian, you could be living right if you remember what you did or what's been done for you. Do you see that? Did you know that dirty little secret when you come to faith, you don't just instantaneously want to do everything God tells you to do and love doing it? Is that just me or anybody else notice that? You'll see as we go on, there's hard work in the process. It's not always fun. There's sacrificial work to be done. There's dying to self. There's turning from sin. There's giving up things that you think you love as you trust God. But what motivates you at first is past grace. Even though you're all screwed up still, God doesn't see you that way because of past grace. Verse 5. That in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know what that is? That's present grace. What am I talking about? Look at, look at a little bit more closely. In every way you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge, verse 7, so that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. So right now, do you know what you're lacking as a Christian? Actually, there, there's one thing we lack. It's called faith. But what do you need to be content? You, you know that word blessed people throw around so much? You actually, the, the first trick is don't say, don't break the extra syllable off on the end like blessed. Yeah? You don't actually have to break the extra syllable. It's just blessed. That's how it flows. But people will say all the time, I'm so blessed. And I, I'm always, I, and I do this. I might not tell people I'm St. John, but I'm the, I'm the jerk who says, what do you mean? You have awkward conversations. You see why you need to be praying for me on Beach Week? Because I'm going to just close my mouth. As a Christian, you know what you are? You are blessed. You have everything you need right now to live the life God calls you to. So what does he call you to? To rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances. And through Christ, he says, you have everything you need to do that. What are you lacking? Now, I have a lot of ideas of things I'm lacking, right? The Bentley is still not in the driveway. That would not fit in my neighborhood, but I'll take it. I want the private jet to go down to Disney World on day trips. Because I see, now I would be blessed. I would be content to fly private with a cold cabin whenever I like. But that's the flesh talking. If God wants me to drive a Bentley to the private airfield, you know, I'm not suspecting that's his will. But, it, 
If he so desires, we all better prayerfully make sure it is his will, I can enjoy it. But if I'm going to find joy in that, I have a problem. Do you see that? It's not about looking a certain way, feeling a certain way, having certain things. It's about what we have in Christ. Now look at this too. You've been enriched in all speech and knowledge. Who here uh, shared the gospel a couple times this morning before they got to church? Me neither. How often do we feel like we're not really equipped to share the gospel? Well, I don't know what I would say. I, I don't know how to answer the question. I, I, so, so, you know, or I, I'm going to wait for the right time. Look at what this says here. You have been enriched with all speech and knowledge. God's saying, Paul's saying through God, listen guys, you have everything you need in your head and God will give you all the words you need to proclaim to share the gospel. Now, don't get me wrong. There's an aspect of reasoning and being prepared to give a reason for the hope that we have. And we get better at it the more we do it. We develop a confidence with it and we should be equipped and trained to do it better. But the basic message of what we're communicating, if you're a believer, guess what? You got it. What are you telling them about past grace, present grace, future grace? What you got? That's all you're telling. You know, if if you get a birthday present and and whatever it is, and you're all excited about it, you're not sitting there going, okay, we'll take the Bentley illustration. I'm all over the place here. If I get a Bentley, I'm not going to be like, well, I can't tell anybody about this because I don't know all about the Bentley. What if they ask what type of motor is in it? I don't know what type of motor. What what if they ask what size of tires? I don't know. I've got to read all about the tires and the engine and and the horsepower, and all this stuff, and once I understand it, then I'll go and tell them, no, you want to know what happens if I get a Bentley? I'm, I got a Bentley! Right? Because I'm excited. People are, what are you, t- I don't know! But you know what? I got past grace. Well, well, well how's that work? I don't know! That's what the baby believer says. I don't know, but, but I know Jesus is who he says he is, and, and he died for me, and he made me righteous before God, and I'm forgiven, praise God! And you can't be too. They, how? I believe in Jesus! What does that mean? I don't know, but let's find out. You believe that he is who he says he is and he'll do what he says he will do and you live for his glory, not your own. And and you accept the fact you're a sinner and there's nothing you can do. That's it, right? That's the message. Now, you could become more well-versed in that, but often what we do is we think it's in our well-versed that we're saving somebody. Paul's saying, guys, you have everything you need in past grace. You have everything you need for now in present grace, including being enriched in speech and wisdom to proclaim this. You'll see later on, he's condemning the people in a proper sense. He's saying, there are people around here that haven't heard about Jesus to your shame. They're not believing. Well, that's our struggle in the present. We don't really believe who we are based off of past grace. We forget what we have with present grace. We don't believe that God really means that he's going to give us all speech and knowledge, that there's no difference between knowledge and wisdom. You know when knowledge becomes wisdom? When you're trusting in the Holy Spirit and he guides you in how to use that knowledge you've been entrusted with. But look at what, what he's saying to this church. You're not lacking, in verse 7, in any gift. So you're screwing up all over the place, not because God's shortchanging you. You're screwing up all over the place because you're not using what he entrusted to you. Now look at this, verse 8. Who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ? God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Future grace. Look, at, look, this is crazy. Who will sustain you to the end guiltless? Who's he writing this letter to? You remember that list? I'm sure you memorized it as I read it. They have division in the church. 
They have immorality issues, marriage issues, Christian liberty issues, Lord's table issues, spiritual gifts issues, resurrection issues, money issues, 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 and issues, and bad issues. I mean bad issues, right? There are people in the church, you'll see next week, they're fighting. They're like, well, I'm a follower of Paul. Well, I'm a follower of Paul. <laughs> well, I'm a follower of Christ. No, I'm a follower of Cephas. They, these are brothers and sisters in Christ, and they're fighting about who, who they believe. They have these, these false philosophers, kind of actually they're real philosophers, it's false teaching that they bring, and they're working this junk into the church, and they're saying, Paul, your message of the gospel is just so childlike and trashy. Let's make it cooler. Let's make it more relevant. Let's make it more attractive, and then more people come to believe. And what does Paul say to them? Christ will sustain you to the end guiltless. But they're riddled with sin. But they're guiltless. Do, do you see this? They are sinning like nobody's business. But that sin is forgiven through the blood of Christ. Renee, that book where you ram the nails, what's the title of that? that you know, Jesus took those nails for these sins. That's why we don't take sin lightly. But it's forgiven. So he's going to sustain them to the end guiltless. Think about what that means to you as a believer. If you hypothetically really mess up at some point in the future. Now, don't go on sinning, you know, shall we sin that grace may abound? Paul talks about that in Romans. The answer is absolutely not. Because if you can sin comfortably and just say, well, Jesus forgave me. Guess what? Jesus didn't forgive you because you don't really believe in him. Right? Uh, Laura, when she was, when she was brought up, that, that's what she was taught. That Jesus came to die for your sins, and if you believe in him, you're forgiven. And as a, as a young teenager, she asked the question, so are you saying if I sin, he just forgives me? And they told her, yes. So she believed it. So her childhood into adulthood was thinking, well, if I sin, Jesus forgives me. You've got to get the rest of the story if you place your faith in him. You can't sin comfortably, but you will sin. So as Christians, if you, when you sin, guess what? You're forgiven. You're going to be presented before God guiltless. You don't need to be afraid. In the Catholic Church, you have to be afraid. Did I do good enough? How long am I going to sit in purgatory to work this sin off? That's a false gospel. The biblical teaching is it's all been paid for once and for all. You'll be guiltless. Now look at this next verse. God is faithful. What does that mean? He is who he says he is always. He will do what he says he will do always. You are who he says you are always, and you can do what he says you can do always. Do you see that? God, in God, there is no, no variation or shadow due to change. He's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. God is always exactly what he says. You know, it's hard growing up with earthly parents because don't, don't they have emotional swings at times, right? In our house, there, there's sometimes this, this guy who looks a lot like me that shows up but doesn't always act like me. You know, I could be tired and worn out, and my kids can come in all excited to tell me something, catch me at a grumpy moment, and you get grumpy dad. You know, and other times, I'm, I'm, I was going to say wonderful dad, but probably close, you know, somewhere between grumpy dad and perfect dad. But, but I, I change. I, I have emotional swings. They, they hopefully get smaller and smaller, but in a worldly sense, we all deal with that, especially with our parents. We don't know how they're going to react. We don't know what they're going to say, and, and it causes a bit of angst in us as we grow up. We just get used to it and accept it, but with God, you know. He never changes. As we live our lives, we have past grace, what we receive by the work of Christ. We have present grace. We have everything we need right now. And we have future grace. We will be considered guiltless, blameless, and God is faithful. He never changes. Paul shares this message with an extraordinarily messed up, worldly, corrupt, sinful church. 
If you were a good legalistic Christian and you went to Corinth at this time, you'd probably say something like, these aren't believers. No, sir, look at how they're living. They were believers. They, they wouldn't be getting drunk and sleeping around. And, and look at this one messing with the Lord's table. And they're distorting doctrine. And these aren't believers. Careful. Do you know what makes a Christian? It's a person who's saved by grace through faith. And a real Christian grows in their faith. These are baby believers, right? These aren't believers who are 20, 30. Now, if, if someone's writing this letter to this church, 40 years later, and they're still stuck in this era. I'm not saying they're not believers. I'm just saying they're not properly equipped and encouraged. But be careful with that. I was told um, shortly after I came to faith, I remember someone, I was sharing my testimony with them. And they said, you were one of those people who would have made a great Christian years ago. And the implication is, you're a nice person. Do you know, I've never, I've been drunk once in my life. I'll give you that story quickly. Did you know Kahlua is an alcoholic beverage? I did not. So in college, my, my girlfriend, who's in the Sunday school class, went out with a bunch of her friends, and they had cable. And I sat down at a cat. I don't know. It freaked me out. And I sat down with Kahlua and whole milk. And I drank probably half a bottle. It was delicious. And I'm watching sports. So I'm sitting there drinking my cold Kahlua and my milk. And I mixed them together, actually. And I got up about an hour and a half later, and I went, I mean, I couldn't stand. It was freaky. So I'm moving over, and, and, and I grab this bottle. You know, I'm walking wide. I had never been drunk, ne- have never been drunk since. I'm like, oh, I didn't know. I was giddy. It was weird, right? But beside that, I had never been drunk. So I'm, I'm a good Christian. I've never smoked, never in my life. I've never taken an illegal drug. I've never stolen anything in my entire life. Do you know, do you know how good I am? So... This person says, well, you're one of those people that make a great Christian. No, actually, what makes it a great story is, besides that superficial stuff, do you know I hated God? And my goal in life was to make as many people as I could not believe in God and those who profess faith in God to feel completely stupid in their faith so they'd just be quiet about it. My goal, without even realizing it, was to serve the evil one and get as many people through the gates of hell as I possibly could, and I didn't even know what I was doing. What made me a great Christian Nothing. All I had to offer God was was my sin. Do you see that? So as we look at this church of Corinth, let's not condemn them. They're just screwed up on the world and they forgot the grace, past, present, and future grace. And the little secret is, you and I do too, don't we? You and I forget what we are in Christ. That's why we have to constantly be reminded of. That's what Paul says later on in Corinthians. I came to remind you. you Why don't I tell you what he says? He says in verse 15, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you're being saved. That doesn't mean that they're not fully saved, right? That we see they are fully saved by past grace. You and I need to be reminded daily. This is why we're to be in the scriptures all the time, because every section of scripture points to Christ. It reminds us of the gospel. It reminds us of the grace, mercy, and love of God. Do you see that? But we need to be reminded, you don't ever move on from the gospel. You, you'll never, you never get past that because it's the basis. We, we come to salvation by grace through faith, and we grow to maturity by grace through faith. So he's saying to this messed up Corinthian church, guys, I've heard some bad stuff. That's where we're going next week. Chloe sends some people, y'all are not living like you're supposed to be living. But let me explain what we're going to do about this i got to get back on this milk before you can eat meat. 
You've got to understand, you've got to be nourished by the milk so we can feed you the meat. Basically, he's saying, grow up. Mature in your faith. Walk in a manner worthy of the calling that's entrusted with you. So let's back way up and start with the elementary principles of grace. Past grace, present grace, future grace. Do you know what I'm getting out of this book for myself? Do you know what I'm trying to get to you through this section is? Let's grow up together. Let's mature together. Let's press on a greater Christ-likeness. And how do we do it? It's not just about trying harder. It's about remembering better. Remember the grace you receive through Christ. Remember what you have in the present by grace and what we have in the future by grace through faith in Christ. And as we stay focused on that, then we see when Jesus says, my, my yoke is easy, my burden is easy, my yoke is light. I flipped that there, but you know what I mean. He's not kidding. When John says in 1 John 5, 3, God's commandments are not burdensome. He's not joking. The difference is they knew grace well because they knew who they were, who they are, and who they would be one day. Do you see that? That's where Paul starts, and that's where we're going to start. This isn't a letter of condemnation to the church of Corinth. It's a letter of encouragement to help them get the world out of them and pack grace in tight, to be filled with the Holy Spirit, to live for his glory and their joy and for others to see the truth. Let's pray. Father God, I just, I thank you for how you used our brother Paul, uh, a guy who, who was just so stinking wicked, who played such a direct role in the persecution and even murder of believers. Yet who you chose to forgive, who you loved, who, who took that trip on the road to Damascus intending to do harm and, and you just met him there, Lord Jesus. You opened his eyes to the truth. He, he turned to you. He, he went to Straight Street. He was filled with the Holy Spirit and my, how you used him so powerfully. There's nothing extraordinarily about the, the vessel you used. It's just what you chose to do with him. Yet he's a man who grew to know you well, to trust you well, and to truly understand grace well. I pray we might as well. Father, in the church of Corinth, the church of God at Corinth, I don't know, Lord, why you, why you desire for us to be your children. We mess up. We slander your name. We're, we're ambassadors who just mess up all the time. But yet we're forgiven through Christ. You don't leave us or forsake us. You don't destroy us. You walk alongside us and restore us and equip us and encourage us and love us and wow us with grace. Lord, I pray we would never be complacent with our current level of sin, but would always press on to greater Christ-likeness for your glory, understanding the reality of who we are in Christ, the consequences for sin and the joy that we have in obedience. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would Help us break up the fallow ground of our heart. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would empower us and focus us and teach us from your word. I pray that you would make this a church not riddled with divisions and dissensions, but one that might be a bright light to shine for you in this community of brothers and sisters growing together, pressing on, fighting the good fight, loving one another, remembering the grace we've received in the past that we have in the present and that we look forward to in the future. I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I have a song for you. It's, a, it's an oldie but a goodie. It was written by John Newton originally, who was a slave trader. The, the song, the, the chords have changed over the years. The words are sung differently at times by the choruses. But this is a song we all uh, do well to remember as we go out from here today and each day we're entrusted with after this. So 